0: The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point of Florida State's campus and the hottest room in seminal sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. Wherever you may be and however you may be listening, we are streaming live on wvfs.fsu.edu and are also on air locally on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee, Florida. If you'd like to call into the show, feel free to dial us up at 850 644 3871. And as always, If you missed this show or any other future shows, you can always go back and listen to us on the Tomahawk Talk podcast. Available anywhere you get your podcasts at. This is your host, Gabe Tisnes, and welcome back to another episode of Tomahawk Talk. It is crazy to think that March is here and spring break break is upon us. But I had to actually contemplate my collegiate mortality because I am a junior and I'm going to be a senior next year. So after an advisor meeting today and class registration coming up, I just started you know kind of tearing up on the inside but as bittersweet as that reality check was I'm going to try and enjoy the moment including tonight's show and you know helping me break down tonight's diverse show of course the one and only William Haynes is back on the show here to talk a lot about many different sports but first William we've been talking pre-show a little bit about a special movie that came out this weekend The Batman what were some of your thoughts on it? Well, first, let me give the disclaimer. I'm not a huge
1: superhero guy. Obviously, all of us here on a sports show. I'm more sports than, than that kind of stuff, but I will check out the movies, and, and Batman, one of those you have to see. I mean, if you're telling me that Edward from Twilight is Batman, I mean, how, how could I miss out on seeing that? I thought it was a good movie. It, I, not really my taste. I thought, you know, the Riddler stuff, it was it was a little strange to say at least, but I know that's kind of on brand of what they do, but I thought it was a pretty good movie overall. Yeah, I,
0: I went in with... I would say pretty decent expectations, but then a friend of mine, Mr. Luke Hazen himself, put it out there as the second best Batman movie of all time. And then my expectations kinda rose up to the occasion and I was a little underwhelmed, unfortunately. I, I, I was not prepared to watch a three hour movie <laughs> going in at nine PM. Uh so that was definitely a little a little disappointing because, you know, it was the first Batman movie since, you know, twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen, something like that. Um and you know, I was really looking forward to Robert Pattinson, and he did a pretty good job. I actually did enjoy the Riddler. I, I, I enjoyed him because the actor that plays him also played an, a, a, a different psychopath in, in another movie called Prisoners, um, which I'm not sure if some of our panelists may have seen. We got A.J. LeCourcier and Ian Hughes on the show tonight. Boys, have any of you seen the Prisoners movie I'm talking about? Or
2: I personally have not, so.
3: There we go. Ian. yeah yeah he's a little freaky in that movie too so <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah he's, he's a little like a crazy ghost. and I think they, they did a pretty good job of trying to replicate that but Ian it's your first time on the show tonight how are you doing how was your weekend
3: doing great had a pretty good weekend um you know like we said saw the Batman um played a, a little bit of Fortnite with my friends and now <laughs> this is a good all-around American weekend so
0: <laughs> great well um yeah AJ. <laughs> did you also get to watch Batman?
2: Yeah, I did. I, I actually really enjoyed uh The Batman. It was a very good movie. Um I did notice going into it that it was gonna be three hours long, so I, I strapped myself in. It it was definitely those full felt like those full three hours, but it was a really good movie I thought. Um up there up there with the dark Knight, in my opinion. So yeah, I I enjoyed my weekend. It was a good good
0: weekend for me. I'm glad to hear that boys. Uh as much as I, I want to talk about Batman, <laughs> we'll, maybe, we'll maybe talk a little bit more when when the NBA section comes around for a for specific reason. But uh, I think we have to start talking about sports now. So first topic of the day is our boy Calvin Ridley, uh, the Atlanta Falcons wide receiver. First news of the day for the NFL was uh, his suspension. Uh, breaking news came out not too long ago saying that the receiver was betting while the season was going on. Obviously he was uh, dealing with some personal matters that kept him off the field while he was doing that. But he did bet on his own team winning and I'm not really sure if he should be suspended for actually betting on the games or if he should be suspended for betting on the Falcons to win games, but either way, he is gonna miss a whole year. And that's gonna be a big blow to the Falcons. Uh, With Julio Jones out, he was supposed to take over and he didn't have the best of seasons last year. And with Matt Ryan still there with his $48 million cap hit, it's going to be quite interesting to see what Atlanta is managing to do in the upcoming season. William, I know you have some thoughts on the uh, the whole gambling situation, but what's your read on the the, the Calvin Ridley situation just as just itself?
1: It's really crazy. I mean, it really insane news they have today going into the franchise tag deadline tomorrow. We've had the combine. We've got free agency coming up. So you've got all that going on. I know Calvin Ridley missed a portion of last season as well with mental health. And now with the suspension that just came down, he's going to miss all of 2022, just pure football implications. He was due $11 million that he's not going to get it. The Falcons aren't going to have to pay it out. So that kind of changes how they go about things, but now they're without their number one receiver, For an entire year, yeah, we can get into the the deeper sports gambling stuff in a bit, but just, I I think it really is insane, you know, a 17 game essentially suspension for a guy who was away from the team, he was on the non-football injury list at the time that the bet was placed. If you recall last season, he stepped away from the team with what he cited as a mental health, you know, kind of situation. He wanted to just take a break from football and get right. And he's met. It was through legal channels. So we do have the ticket. It's not like he was, you know, betting with the bookie or anything. It was a fifteen hundred dollar parlay that included the Falcons to win. So to me, he wasn't in the facility. He wasn't with the team. It wasn't like he was getting inside information and like people cite with Pete Rose all the time. It's not like he was betting against his team. He was betting on them to win, so I understand the uh, the integrity of the, the game, all that stuff, but I, I really don't think the punishment fits the crime in this particular situation.
0: Yeah, Calvin took it to to the Twitter streets to voice out his complaints. He said, I bet 1,500 total. I don't have a gambling problem. So, you know, I'm sure some people will read into that a little bit. Um, but, yeah, he said also that I know I was wrong, but I'm getting one year, LOL. Um, so... He's definitely a little disappointed on on the whole situation, but at the same time, I think he'll be all right. He'll he'll have some time to figure out more of his mental health issues, and and his body was also you know having some issues. So, um, yeah, Ian, I don't know <laughs> what more can we talk about with with our our wide receiver down in Atlanta. Is there anything else that we missed?
3: Ah, uh, no, I think you guys hit most of the bases. I mean, I, I I'm gonna have to agree with William in that the. The punishment's a little excessive, you know. Like he said, he wasn't involved in any team uh, operations at the time. You know, he, he was going through some mental health issues. Um, so I, I think that a couple game suspension might have been warranted. You know, he should face some kind of punishment. But again, he wasn't <coughs> betting on the
0: team to lose. It wasn't like it was fixed or anything. So you know, whatever. <laughs> I think it's a it's a good point to to make that he wasn't with the team. In the biggest of technicalities, he was—he uh, wasn't—he wasn't on the depth chart for the game. He he was completely off the field. He he wasn't even practicing. I think. I mean, it was a, it was a, a to my knowledge like a Ben Simmons situation. He wasn't with the team. He wasn't in contact
1: with anybody. So it's not like he's getting inside information about the game plan or the injuries or this or that. So I, I really think it it's absurd.
2: i think i think what the nfl is doing here is kind of setting a precedent um just saying setting an example almost to other players around the league or in the league at the moment saying we're not accepting accepting this at all even if we think the punishment was too big the nfl is saying there should be no place in our game for the integrity of the game uh that the players in our league should be betting and i think this is why the punishment was so big for calvin ridley
1: and that's, that's what brings me to my next point, because I, I do understand, you know, in a vacuum, the sports league saying that, you know, we have to keep the integrity of the game, the Black Sox scandal, you know, over 100 years ago. There's things that have happened that, that necessarily have definitely been wrong. But when all of a sudden it came around where these sports leagues decided there was billions of dollars to be made in partnerships with these gambling companies, with DraftKings, with FanDuel, that are now title sponsors for the NFL, the NHL, the MLB, every sports league now has like multiple arenas with sports books inside the stadium so I, I think it is a little bit hypocritical that these leagues are making money hand over fist because of sports gambling but then they're gonna turn around and a guy like Calvin Ridley who was scheduled to make 11 million and say no you know you placed one bet when you weren't with the team and you can you can kiss your 2022 season goodbye but he bet for the Falcons William like are we just gonna gloss over that? i I really don't it like it's like with the Pete rowe situation, if you're betting on your team to win, how is that like what does that mean like it's I was not... talking
0: about the fact that he bet for the Falcons to win just on on itself like
1: oh oh of course, that's a horrible decision and and, and that alone that you would bet on it on a team like the Falcons to win a game that that's absurd <laughs> in its own, but it's not like he was betting on them to lose like it's not like they were throwing games so i I really think. Seventeen game suspension is is out of
2: line. AJ, uh, my point I bring up is, wh- why is he betting on the NFL if he really wants to bet so badly? Why doesn't he just bet on another sport? I mean, obviously he he thinks that his team's gonna win, but I don't see the point in betting on your own sport when you there's so many other sports that you could bet on. In my opinion.
1: And he tweeted it out himself. He he knows he made a mistake and and he shouldn't have done what he did. And, and Goodell addressed it. He'll have a chance to appeal it, you know, during the new league year. But I, I can't imagine any resolution will be made. So I, I guess he's going to have to have to live with it. But it's tough.
0: It, it is frustrating, especially when you know Dan Schneider still owns the team. Like I mean, why is Calvin really getting punished for a whole year when Dan Schneider is still running free? Um, that's a whole other topic for another discussion. But um, yeah, I think. He actually reported himself, which is something Goodell talked about on on the letter, uh, which is quite interesting because you know maybe there's some guilt there, but I'm not really sure. Uh, there's there's a lot to to talk about with gambling itself. But speaking of gambling, we have the Aaron Rodgers sweepstakes to talk about. Everyone's been wondering what number 12 down in or up in Green Bay, I should say, is going to do this summer because after last year it was a big debacle. It was Brett Favre 2.0, and it, we're still on this so. Uh, I believe the running teams for the Aaron Rodgers sweepstakes are the Denver Broncos and the Green Bay Packers, but there's always other teams like the Raiders and even the 49ers who uh, are in contention. Um, Ian, what is your number one pick for the Aaron Rodgers sweepstakes?
3: Um, I think he's going to stay with Green Bay. I think that's a better situation for him you know, offensively than Denver, but Denver is obviously going all in. I mean, I don't know why you would hire Nathaniel Hackett unless you really wanted Aaron Rodgers. Honestly, he hasn't proven to be that much of a head coaching candidate outside of his relationship with him because, you know, it's LeFleur calling all the plays in Green Bay as far as I'm aware. So I think he's going to stay with Green Bay, maybe give it one more, one last dance. <laughs>
0: no, 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 not, not, not the hashtag, all, the, the last dance they're again. They're going to do this
3: every year until they win a Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, oh, my.
0: Well, they're, they're going to have to start figuring out if, if they can actually even pull off the last dance because Aaron Rodgers is asking for record-breaking money. Uh, so uh, even if they try to get him in there, you know, they still have to pay Devonte Adams and the rest of the crew. Uh, so I'm not really sure how it's going to work out, but it does seem like Green Bay is just kind of par for the course, the best team for him to stick around with. Cause he's, he still cares about winning just as much as he, he wants money. Um, there's definitely some, I think, emotional aspect to to this whole situation. William, do you think a, a team like maybe the Panthers can come in and, <laughs> and just, you know, snoop in Aaron Rodgers?
1: We know the Panthers have been big game hunters under their new ownership. They went after Deshaun Watson. They were after Derek Carr, quarterbacks like that. I'm going to stick with what I said after the Broncos hired Nathaniel Hackett, who was on the, the, the Packers offensive coaching staff, that that was Denver trying to go all in on Aaron Rodgers. And I think, I mean, let, let's not forget, you know what happened just a couple of months ago in the divisional round when the Packers once again in January went one and done under the under the watch of, of Aaron Rodgers and, and his friend Devontae Adams. So let's not act like just because those two are on an active roster that, you know, they're slotted to win it all. The Packers are more than twenty seven million dollars over the cap. Um if there and there's no way if if Aaron Rodgers stays that he's gonna be on his one year deal, but he's got $46 million is his cap hit for next year as it stands. The extension would kind of spread that money out and allow them to do things. But they're already grossly over the cap. If Aaron Rodgers is going to stay, they're going to have to give more than Patrick Mahomes. They're going to have to keep Devontae Adams around under a franchise tack, which is another $20 million. So not only... Are you just bringing back the same guys that went one and done? But your roster is going to be hamstrung again because you're running out of money to spend on other players. I mean, really, what is the end game here for Green Bay if you're just keeping these guys around?
0: You're speaking my language right now. I mean, I, I've been saying it. I don't see Aaron Rodgers winning a Super Bowl with Green Bay. Last year was just more evidence for me to to keep saying that. And it's just funny because both both Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers are so mad at each other and they're trying to make peace with it I'm I'm glad they are but at the same time there's just the big elephant in the room how are they going to get it done that's what they both want and especially for Green Bay the future is is you know I guess they have Jordan Love but has he really developed into anything has is is Aaron Rodgers even helping him to develop into anything I'm I'm really curious to see what's going to happen after Aaron Rodgers inevitably leaves whether it is this summer or in the future AJ
2: Yeah, the only problem I see with Aaron Rodgers and maybe going to Denver is the division that he would be playing in. He'd be playing in with a division in with Patrick Mahomes, Derek Carr, and Justin Herbert Uh, compared to a a Chicago team led by Justin Fields, a Detroit team led by Jared Goff, and a Vikings team led by Kirk Cousins. Uh, So that's, that's my take on it. I think he... I think he's going to like the money he gets in Green Bay. He he knows Green Bay. He's been there his whole career, and it's a way easier division. And in my opinion, the NFC is going to be a whole lot easier of a division this year than the AFC is going to be this year.
1: When you talk about Aaron Rodgers and his legacy as an NFL quarterback, his whole career, who's the guy that he's always been looking up at? It's been Tom Brady, and he watched Tom Brady win six Super Bowls in New England and then go down to Tampa Bay, a new team, and win another one. So I think from that perspective, too, he's watching this, and he's like, why am I in Green Bay? We just saw the greatest quarterback of all time go to a new team and win a championship in his first season. Not that I'm necessarily saying that Denver's in the situation that Tampa was a couple years ago, but they've got players. Von Miller today teased to come back to Denver. They they were they had one of the best defenses in the NFL a season ago, and now they've got their buddy Hackett down there as well.
0: Hey, Jay.
2: I, I, I would also like to bring up, uh, if I'm Aaron Rodgers, wh- why am I not thinking about San Francisco as a landing spot? Trey Lance. I, as Aaron Rodgers, are you really scared of Trey Lance uh, competing for a job? Or if, if if San Francisco's given the opportunity of them almost reaching the Super Bowl with a Jimmy G-led team, which we all know Jimmy G is not Aaron Rodgers, and their team, their roster, their defense, they have playmakers on the outside with Debo Samuel. I, I would be very intrigued if I'm Aaron Rodgers going to San Francisco.
1: And Obviously, it'd have to be a trade. I think there's no question that the Niners would have to give up Trey Lance to Green Bay in that trade to to bring in Aaron Rodgers. But I think if you're San Francisco and you've got that roster, you've got guys like Debo and all those running backs and all those guys along the defense that are pro bowlers and all pros, why do you want to pay Aaron Rodgers $50 million when you can have Trey Lance on a rookie contract? Have we not seen time and time again, we just saw it with with Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals, the, the blueprint. In the NFL, we saw it with Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. The blueprint to win and get a championship is to get a quarterback on a rookie deal with a really great roster around him. So if I'm San Francisco, I'm not going to give all that up for maybe one or two decent seasons of Aaron Rodgers in his late 30s.
0: Yeah, and I think we also just saw two quarterbacks move teams around and you know win Super Bowls. But then again, those are really special occurrences that I, I don't foresee happening. I I would I agree with you, William. I think you're you're much more. Secure to, to to stay with a rookie quarterback or not even a rookie quarterback a rookie quarterback deal it, it just makes so much more sense especially with the Niners they're not focused on passing the ball out they're they're focused on the run game they're focused on on you know playing run and, and, and playing defense in the playoffs and that's how they beat Green Bay so if, if they can beat Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay without Aaron Rodgers then why do they need him to to win it all uh, I think if you upgrade at the quarterback position just a little bit you have just as good of a shot as you had last year and, and you, you got really far last year so um but on another side note the nfl combine was this past week and there's only one topic i think we all want to talk about and that is kenny pickett the pittsburgh quarterback uh yeah he he got flamed by by scouts all over the place for having one of the smallest or two of the smallest hands i should say the nfl combine has ever seen and you know the the immediate comparison is of course joe Burrow. i believe is two years removed from from when he was contemplating retirement because you know he was uh not really being given a chance because of his hand situation obviously joe Burrow has proven a lot of haters wrong going to the super bowl this past year and you know exceeding expectations with the bengals so the question is can kenny pickett in his small hands get into the first round of the the nfl draft ian I think it'd be a travesty if he didn't get drafted in the first round of the NFL draft this year. I mean,
3: there's a couple of teams that, you know, like the Commanders, that really need a quarterback, and obviously there's, you know, other options like Malik Willis, Matt Corral, but, I mean, we talked about this earlier. Kenny Pickett has proven that he can play in, you know, cold-weather situations. It's not like the ball's going to slip out of his hands because they're so small. You know, I mean, he he's the all-around package, I think, uh, in terms of the quarterbacks available this year. So... I think that he will get drafted in the first round you know people were willing to look over Joe Burrow obviously won a national championship and Kenny Pickett plays in the ACC which wasn't that deep this year but you know all things considered I think he's the best all-around option a quarterback in the draft so.
1: Fumbling is one of the biggest issues that Pickett had at Pitt, but I I don't agree that attributing that to hand size is the end all be all. I think it, it's how you carry the football. Are you tucking it or are you like Lamar Jackson and you're waving it around in front of defenders? I mean, there's <laughs> certain ways that, at the next level that that you can protect the football a little bit better. And I think, I mean, he's shown from his freshman year all the way till now, he, he's vastly improved as a quarterback. So I don't question that. You know, that's going to top stop anytime soon if he's with a good offensive coaching staff. And I mean, to me, the reality, so I'm reading an article on the ringer, getting ready for the show. And they're saying that, you know, his eight and a half inch hands well below the well accepted threshold of nine inches is a half an inch on a hand. Really that much. Uh, does that matter that much? I mean, Joe burrow and Jared Goff have nine inch hands. Michael Vick had nine inch hands. We're talking half of an inch with, with Pickett's eight and a half inch hands. He's played in the cold. He's played in the rain as Ian has pointed out. So uh, it's one of those things about this time of year where I think NFL teams get in their own heads. There's been multiple executives off the record that have said that they took him off their draft board because of his hand size. I mean, what are we
0: doing here? Has he not shown enough on the field that he can that be a first round quality quarterback? I I think we're just on the slow news cycle of the NFL. I mean, <laughs> the fact that this even made it to the show is just funny. But uh, you know i i'm all for for evaluating every single facet of, of a player i mean we're in the stats era of, of sports everything is under a, mic- under a microscope this might be taking it a little bit too far but we'll we'll see we'll see how 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 can you does in the nfl shortly um but we have to move on to the basketball side of things because the seminoles are back to their winning ways they're back to winning three straight uh with the acc tournament upon us uh it's, it's crazy. I mean, <laughs> there was a thought that not too long ago that you know FSU basketball was just going to crumble to the point where we weren't even going to be able to talk about it on the show, but they're back on it, um, and it is, it's it's pretty joyful. I, I, someone pinched me. I mean, <laughs> it's been a rough season for them, but they are slotted as the number eight seed in the AACC tournament, and they're facing Syracuse in the second round. The winner, of course, playing Duke. And that's going to be quite the matchup if it ends up up happening. But, of course, they have to beat the the Orange first. So uh, in order to do that, they're going to have to maybe go without um, Caleb Mills because he got injured in in the last game. Uh, So injuries has been a a, a theme for the Seminoles this past season. But they've been getting healthy right around the corner. Uh, Anthony Polite was just driving the ball uh, down the paint against NC State on Saturday. I was really happy to see that with their senior send-off. William, what are some of your takeaways from just how the, the Seminoles have been able to finish off the, the regular season in a good fashion and, you know, the, the optimism and the confidence the team has been able to show?
1: Yeah, I think t- to start off exactly with what you said, I mean, after that February 12th loss at UNC to, to bring that losing streak to six, we pretty much put a fork in their season. Like, can they even finish at 500 and even make the NIT? And now, you know, uh, last Saturday they they beat Virginia on, on a beautiful um, last-second heave by Matthew Cleveland at the buzzer. And then that Monday, last week, we talked about, well, you've got two games left. You've got Notre Dame and you've got NC State. Notre Dame is going into the tournament as a number three seed, so that was your test. If they're going to be able to play in March, this is a game that they're going to have to perform well in. They absolutely shot the lights out at the Tucker Center. I think they hit 11 threes. This was a team that had only shot about 35% from beyond the arc in, in the season as a whole. So this is—it's called March Madness for a reason. These teams come out of nowhere. This sport and this tournament in particular is about getting hot at the right time. Florida State's won three in a row. They look really good. The Caleb Mills injury is a concern. But, I mean, Anthony Polite, he's got an injury on his on the wrist of his shooting hand, and he's still throwing down monstrous dunks, shooting threes. <laughs> so I think after all the trials and tribulations that this team has been on, the the highs and the lows, I'm really excited to see what they can do this week.
0: Yeah, Anthony Polite's playing with a cast. It seems like he would definitely be limited, but he didn't show any of that in this past game. So it is quite encouraging Tenor Numb and uh, there's a lot of players that are coming back. Uh, so not only are they, you know, getting hot at the right time, but they've also not really been playing uh, some of these players too much. So they're fresh off. Uh, obviously, they have to get in a rhythm. But, of course, the three-game winning streak seems to be just as good a, as a time to, to get those those legs back in the, the basketball shape. Uh, AJ?
2: Yeah, I think Florida State's starting to click offensively because they're starting to finally realize, oh, wait, we're not a shooting team. And so now – so now FSU is playing a lot more physical, and I think that's what has turned these last three games around for FSU. Is the physicality that they've been showing? They've they've been putting in the bigger guys and in, in the paint. Uh, they made it tough for teams to drive in, and th- now they're starting to guard the three a little bit more. They're they're realizing the importance of the three. Well. Because earlier in the year, they were getting burned off the three, it seemed like, every game. And now, they're, they're just more energized towards the end of this year. And it's it's perfect timing for them to get energized because it is tournament time. And let's see what happens against Syracuse. And Florida State's already beat Duke, so if we get past Syracuse, anything can happen, honestly.
0: Again, yeah, It seems like we have a consensus here. This is the right time for, for anyone to buy stock in the Seminoles. Is, is this a good estimation?
3: Uh, yeah, I think you guys are all on the right track here. I mean, um, the Seminoles have proved that, you know, their depth is maybe lacking a little bit this year, but even despite that, they've fought through resiliency, uh, or they've fought very hard. They've been resilient. And um, like AJ said, they've been playing really tough physical ball uh, the last couple games. Uh, I think that I think they're pretty much a lock in my book to beat Syracuse. <laughs> wow. Um, Duke... You know, it's the behemoth waiting. They got upset by North Carolina on Krasuski's last home game, so I wouldn't put too much stock in seeing him pass that round. But you know, I I think the future is is still
2: bright.
1: And let's talk about that because certainly going into the tournament, okay, if you win it all, you go on one of those UConn or Georgetown type of runs, God forbid, and you have punched your ticket to the NCAA tournament. But. in all actuality, that's probably not what we're looking at. So, obviously, you've got to get past Syracuse on Wednesday. That's a, that They split. Uh, the FSU won a game up in the Carrier Dome, and they lost the conference opener when a much different team. Um, so they went 1-1 one and one against them in the regular season. So you get past Syracuse. Then you've got Duke no matter what. We beat them before. You beat them. Um, do you guys think if you beat Duke, you're in? Uh, if they get past Duke, they would be probably playing – Miami, and then in the final it would be maybe Notre Dame or UNC. So how many wins, if they don't win at all, is it going to take, do you guys think?
0: I uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> the the entertaining the, the Duke victory is just crazy to me, but I would say yes, if you beat Duke, you absolutely deserve to be in the tournament. AJ? I, I think You have to
2: win it all, almost, to get into this tournament. The stretch that the Seminoles went on this year, uh, after the Miami win, when they got to the top of the ACC, they lost one, two, three, four, five, six in a row to bottom feeders of the ACC. I, I don't see the Seminoles getting into the tournament unless they get the automatic bid from winning the ACC tournament.
0: So the ACC hasn't been its best. Just like football, basketball has been really rocky. But at the same time, you have to put somebody in there. And if you beat the number one seeded team it seems like a pretty good indication that they would be at least somewhere in the tournament, I would think. If you're if you're into the
1: bracketology type of thing, which is, I mean, that's those are the people that are deciding who goes to the tournament and who doesn't, Wake Forest is in the first four out, and Wake Forest has a much better record than FSU. They've got three more wins in conference play, five more, actually six more wins overall in the regular season. So if Wake Forest is on the outside looking in, then where is Florida State? Yeah. But I, I'm also with you, Gabe. If you beat Duke, which right now the number six team in the country, if you beat them twice in a year, I really think that, that you that, that's enough of a resume to me
2: to, to go on and, and keep playing. Andrew. I'd just like to point out, even even with Wake Forest on the, on the cusp of the tournament, they also had the ACC Player of the Year and the ACC Coach of the Year. Uh, that just shows how much the, the ACC has struggled this year, and that's why Florida State needs to win it all because even if you beat Duke, do you see the Sem- Do you see the Seminoles beating Miami or Notre Dame after beating Duke? Absolutely,
1: because if they beat Duke, that means that they have are, have absolutely caught fire, and that no one is going to stop them. To me, yeah, that, that's the kind of effort it's going to take to beat Duke. Yeah.
3: Well, you know, that also means that you know the ACC tournament is it only takes place over a few days. If you, you put all your effort into beating Duke, I mean, we got blown out by Wake Forest when our team was at pretty much full strength early this year. Uh, Miami, we both we won by what, one point both times against them. I mean, I'm sound like a pessimist, <laughs> but I I, I I really just don't see us catching fire like that hot, you know.
1: And I know FSU has the injuries. You know, Malik Osborne, really the heart and soul of the team, going into the year is out. Nahima Cloud, who is a, an an excellent big, is out. Kayla Mills may be out for the first game or so. We'll see. Um, but even with that being said, FSU's identity is their depth. They've had the sixth man of the year in the ACC for how many years running? I mean, a team like NC State they played had only a two-man bench. Um, FSU is operating right now with a three or four or even a five-man bench if they really want to empty it. So I, I think to, the, to contrast that, when you're playing basically a game every 24 hours, isn't it the team with the most depth that
0: should come out on top? Yeah, I mean – I was going to point that out. I was going to say, you still have Leonard Hamilton. You still have a sixth man of the year, which has been the fourth year in a row that FSU has had uh, the ACC sixth player of the year. So as much as this team hasn't really shown up this year, their identity is still rooted in the same fundamentals that have seen them prove victorious plenty of times before. And, you know, with the injuries, like I said, they're coming back. So if they catch fire against Duke... Which, you know, is still funny to me that we're entertaining that thought. But it, it, you got to think about these things because it is March. Um, but we'll have to keep that, that, that talk, uh, that, the FSU talk <laughs> with FSU baseball and softball for the second half of the show. You are listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. And we are back for the second half of the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are going to keep up the FSU sports talk with FSU baseball and softball updates We were just talking about FSU basketball and how they're on their way to a potential Duke victory in the second in the semifinals of the ACC tournament. Definitely being optimist homers here. Um, But all biases aside, FSU baseball did go two and two this past week. Um, After, you know, we talked last week on the show, it seemed like there were some cause for concerns, but probably not hitting the panic button. And, you know, now we, we sit here and, you know, we we have to ask the question again and, and it's not the funnest thing to talk about this early in the season. You know, there's, there's plenty of games left. Um, it, it's, it's maybe putting the media hat on and just, you know, asking for a headline, but at the same time, we're, we're, we're seeing what we're seeing and, and uh, you know, losing in Tallahassee to California and, and, and Mercer, it's not what you want to see from this team after, you know, they, they've had a lot of praise coming their way. So William, you're the baseball expert. What are your thoughts on, on how the team's doing?
1: Yeah, it's it's not a great start. You know, going into conference play, you're still in that non-conference portion. You're playing, you know, these small schools on, on Tuesday, trying to get your, your weekday starter working into things. And then you've got, you know, these these weekend series against teams that, I mean, are fine, but they're not premier. We're talking about, you know, Sanford and, and now Cal Berkeley this past weekend. Second week in a row, they go 2-2. Two and two, A loss on Tuesday, this time to Mercer. And extra innings, and then after winning the first two games against Cal, they lose another extra inning game. On Sunday, uh, I will say this, baseball more than than any other sport, um, how you start the season is not indicative. We've seen, like the most notable I can think of, the, the New York Mets in 2018. They started 17-9, and one of their best starts ever, and they didn't even finish the season with a winning record. So a hot start doesn't mean you're gonna be great, and a cold start doesn't mean you're gonna be terrible. Um, but at some point they're gonna have to pick it up. They've got three really solid starters It seems like the hitting maybe is lacking in, in big spots and, and the back end of the bullpen and these tie games in the late Stages have,
0: have really let them down multiple times just in the last couple weeks. Yeah, just to recap they lost 6-5 to Mercer They won 4-3 against Cal then 7-4 before losing the final 5-3 um, I'm not really sure what else to say. I, I don't want to make this a big deal it is just a little concerning that this team hasn't really kicked into gears yet. AJ, did you catch any of the games this past week?
2: I did not catch any of the games this past week. i I've been keep- keeping up on the scores throughout the games, though. and it, and as william said, i th- I think th- our biggest problem right now is the bullpen. And I think the bullpen will come around as as the season goes on goes along. And I mean, it's first couple games more as William said, baseball more than anything. There's so many games that you can improve on throughout the year that I'm not worried for the Seminole baseball team right at this moment. Uh, we'll see what their series, are, what the Tuesday match against FGCU is like, and then their first really away road series against Wake Forest as they open up ACC play this weekend.
0: Yeah, they, they, they have a 6 p.m. kickoff time tomorrow, and then they're, they're going to go on the road against Wake Forest for a three gamer before they go to Gainesville next Tuesday. I believe that's during spring break um ian are you going to be able to catch any of the future games or have you been to any of the previous games
3: uh i've been keeping up you know like aj um i would definitely agree that the bullpen has been the problem i mean we have two bona fide aces pitching you know and bryce hubbard and parker messick but they also both pitched what was it like seven innings you can't you can't have that (laughs) i mean um messick gave up i think it was three runs which is a little uncharacteristic but i mean both games have been in extra innings, the losses. Um, so it's definitely not time to hit the panic button. We we have a lot of time to
0: improve. Last thoughts, William?
1: Yeah, I mean, you brought up Messick, and and it, it's kind of insane that this is where we're at with Parker Messick, that he goes seven in a third, three runs on six hits, nine strikeouts, and we're like, oh, man, like what's going on with him? And that's only because he set the bar so incredibly high. Scalero, who's the closer, ended up getting the win in that one. It was a tie game, top of the ninth. He got a... Uh, stop there, and then it was Alex Terrell sending one uh, out of orbit to walk that one off, and then on Saturday you had Bryce Hubbard pitch. I mean, really out of his mind. A Seven and two thirds, twelve strikeouts for him, only two runs, um, and then even on Sunday, Ross Dunn, the best start of his career, six innings, scoreless with eleven strikeouts. So to me, I mean, you've got one of the best weekend uh, starting rotation in college baseball. That, and I mean, you've got three guys that can take you into the sixth or seventh inning giving up no runs or giving up one or two runs. With the lineup that this team has, you've got no excuse not to be winning a lot of games. They've got it all out in front of them. All they've got to do is go out and do it, and I think the bullpen will come with time. Mike Martin Jr. learns maybe how to better use guys in certain spots. This non-conference portion of the schedule is certainly a time where you can mess around with things um, Wake Forest, not a premier team by any means, but that's a good conference test on the road to start the season. So let's check check back in next week and kind of see if they're on the same path or maybe they're they're hitting that
0: that next gear. Yeah, I think it's a it's a good way to think about it. Um, but another team that lost their last game of the series this past weekend was the FSU softball team. They were ranked number three. They were nineteen and zero, and then Pitt happened. They lost seven to five after going four up, four one up in the first uh, inning, and then. You know they went kind of cold they only scored one more after that and you know of course they're not going to go undefeated throughout the whole season but this is their first loss it's something to think about something to look at um i personally don't see much more from this uh, it's it's par for the course you know they they won their previous game 10-0 3-0 against the same team so i think this is just you know par for the course rotation is there anything else talk about it with him. and I
1: think if we can be honest they started the season 19 and 0 there's no way you're going to win all the games yeah. so if anything that <laughs> the, the pressure is off now right you don't have to go sweating into every game trying to keep this alive baseball like we said you know how you start is not necessarily how you're going to finish and and sometimes even your best players have an off day and Catherine Sandercock whose numbers were absolutely be- unbelievable I think had like 70 innings and ERA under a half she went only. She didn't even get through three innings. She gave up four runs on five hits. I think Pitt had mul- uh, three multi-run homers in that in that game. That seven-to-five loss. Um, so, with the pitching staff that the softball team has, that's not going to happen too often And your lineup. You know, gave you five runs. So, I I really don't take much out of it. And if anything. A loss is never a good thing but maybe just an exhale you've got some games this weekend and and just keep trudging along and I mean this is clearly a top three if not the best team in college baseball.
0: Yeah it's certainly one of the premier teams in the in the nation right now but now we kind of shift gears into the NBA where any game that you lose at this time of the year it is critical because with only about 20 games left one month basically left of the season every single team is fighting for that playoff spot every single team is trying to fight to get into the playoff uh the the, the play-in tournament I, I, sh- I should say and you know one of those teams is of course the la lakers with lebron james who went for 56 i believe against the golden state warriors this past weekend and he became the first player ever to score more than 50 before he was 21 and then also after he was 35. so there you go there's some lebron love right there um, Aj, what were some of your takeaways from this past weekend? It can be Lakers or you know anything yeah. else going around the league.
2: I think I think I'm gonna start with the Lakers versus yep. Golden State game. I think the biggest takeaway from that game, in my opinion, was obviously LeBron scores 56 and carries them to the win. But how much Golden State is missing Draymond Green? Golden State in the last 10 games are two and eight, and Draymond and Draymond, you can see the difference on defense with Draymond missing. He's the flo- he's almost the floor general. Uh, he can bring up the ball on offense, he he moves the offense around, and he plays outstanding defense. He can play one through five on the defensive end, and Golden State's dropping down the stand, standings, uh, unlike earlier this year, where they looked like they are one of the clear favorites. I, I mean, Golden State's still number two in the West, but Memphis is now tied with them, uh, being eight games back of Phoenix, um, and... I think that was one of the bigger bigger storylines of the weekend. And another big storyline of the weekend is Kevin Durant coming back for the Nets. Brooklyn has free-fallen. They're all the way down the 9 in the East. And with Kevin Durant coming back, I, I think we see Brooklyn start making a push in the last month of the year. But with him being back, they're still 0-2. They lost to the Heat and to the Celtics this weekend. Uh, or this past week, I guess. So it's going to be really interesting with Brooklyn in the East where they end up. Uh, in the in the play, if they make it into the play on play in tournament, or if they get out of the play in tournament, it's gonna be a it's gonna be interesting in the East where they end up depending uh, who the top seed in the East is, because that's gonna be a very intriguing playoff series if they end up the eight or seven
0: seed. Yeah, two of the favorites with the Lakers and the Nets not really having the best of seasons, having a lot of issues with either injuries or just not really performing up to expectations. I I have to go back to the Golden State thing though. They looked like a really good team, like a solid championship contender. And now, without Draymond, he's almost back from his injury, but it, it's definitely kind of changed the perspective on, on what the Warriors are looking like right now. William, what are some of your thoughts on you know just how Golden State is doing, or, or it, it, did we were were we too high on Golden State, or
1: I don't think so. I mean, you're eight games back of the one seed in Phoenix. That you you know you're not going to catch them, especially as you as you're working Draymond back and. And A.J. mentioned that you're, you're fighting off Memphis. As long as you've got a top three seed, I think you're fine. You're, you're going to be playing a team that's you know coming off the playing tournament or whatever, and, and you'll be fine. I mean, Golden State has proven us that their brand of basketball when they are on is, is one of the hardest to defend. And really in NBA history, Steph Curry is still as good as he's ever been. You've got Klay Thompson working back into the fold now and all those guys and what they're doing. To me, though, a team maybe that we should be keeping our eye on, the defending champion. Milwaukee Bucks came off of four and a 4-0 week last week. They beat three, basically, top ten teams in the NBA. They beat the one seed in the East, the Miami Heat. Uh, they knocked off the Chicago Bulls, who are a lot of people's sweetheart team. And then they beat the team that's really the best team in the NBA right now and the team that they knocked off in the finals last year, the Phoenix Suns. So uh, they, they've got Giannis, they've got Middleton, they've got all those guys, and they're, they're, they're I think, hitting their stride. They've won four in a row. Um they're only three games back of first. They can make a run, and they could be holding the one seed uh, come playoff
0: time. I had to Google what champion is, William. What are you making me do? It's ch- champion
1: is is reigning champion. It's just a, a different form of the word. Of course, of course.
0: How would I not know that, AJ? I
2: I would also like to point out that the Bucks are making a run, but they did play against a Chris Paul and Devin Bookerless uh, Suns this week, and the the Heat are still banged up and tonight actually Victor Oladipo is coming back for the Miami Heat so it's going to be interesting to see if the Miami Heat can hold the number one seed and how much better do they get with Victor Oladipo returning to the lineup
0: you know we have two Miami residents I believe here so Ian what are some of your thoughts on how the Heat are doing it are you going to be a homer or is there something that we're missing
3: uh- I think they can definitely hold on to the one seed. I mean, they, they've been one of the best defensive teams in the NBA this year without Oladipo, and Oladipo is a – I believe he's former all-defensive team, right? Yeah. I mean, he's, if he's coming back at even half strength, that's going to be a great boon for their defense. Their depth has been great this year. I mean, they've proven that they have probably the best, like, farm system, if you can call it that, in the NBA, at getting undrafted guys prepared to play the big times. I mean, the, everybody's coming back at the right time and they're already the number one team in the East, uh, I think that they definitely should hold on.
2: Hey, Joe. Uh, and as as we're looking into the East with that James Harden trade going through, we, we see Philadelphia looking a lot tougher, too, with uh, James Harden and Joel Embiid teaming up. Joel Embiid's never had a player of James Harden's caliber, and they've meshed perfectly almost so far. Uh, I know they dropped a the game in... Uh, Miami, James Harden wasn't available, Joel Embiid wasn't himself, and as I also look at the East, the Chicago Chicago Bulls are starting to fall, and they're a young team, they're not very experienced in the playoffs, I know they have a MVP candidate in DeMar DeRozan this year, and it's going to be interesting to see how they finish this last month of the year, and I think this is really telling of what the Chicago Bulls are going to be made of, um, but I also, I, I know I'm going on a spiel about the East, but the Boston Celtics this second half of the NBA season has really picked it up and they are becoming one of the best teams in the defensive teams in the NBA. So it's it's really interesting in the East how close things are and this last month of the season is gonna be really fun to watch.
1: Yeah, no matter how the seating shakes out, you are going to have to be a really solid deep team to make it through this Eastern Conference, no matter who's at the top. I imagine coming out of the playing tournament, you're gonna to have Brooklyn with Kevin Durant back. Maybe by that time, uh, Kyrie Irving is able to play at home and on the road. So that's that's a team that you view completely different from their 32-33 and 33 record. And then maybe Charlotte comes out. Um, they're, they're a really young, exciting team that, that can get hot at any time. You mentioned Boston, who has gotten red hot as of late. You've got the Philadelphia now with James Harden with, with an MVB candidate and an Embiid. You, the, the defending champs and the Bucks. no matter who you're talking about, really one through eight, it's a, it's a crapshoot, and whoever comes out I think has got to be the clear best team
0: in the NBA. Yeah, that looks incredibly tough. There's candidates all over the place. And it's it's crazy to think that the, the trade deadline really shaped up the, the conference in the last minute because Chicago was looking like a pretty good top three bet, and now they're looking like they might be in the fourth or fifth seed the way that they're free-falling and you know the 76ers with with Joel Embiid and James Harden they might just be too good for most teams plainly put I mean the Nets they have maybe one of the best trios in the NBA and they're looking at the play in tournament right now I've seen every single possible stat about how they've lost so many games throughout the season that no champion has ever you know recuperated from that so I'm looking at that and and I'm shocking scratching my head and saying is it going to be possible but then again they just have such an important valuable trio with Ben Simmons and you know Kevin Durant and Kyrie so uh, I'm not really sure how this is gonna play out thankfully there's still a month left of basketball to to kind of get some more input on these teams but yeah going back to LeBron I think we, ha- we have to touch on the 38 year old uh, if we haven't already enough because you know he did go for 56 it's been an up-and-down season with, with some of his injuries and stuff but he's still looking like he might make the playoffs and you know he might catch fire like he always does he goes zero dark 30 mode and assuming Russell Westbrook doesn't, you know, let him down once again and Anthony Davis comes back and he's half himself, he should be looking at a semifinal berth, you know, in the West, and then who knows, AJ?
2: Yeah, I I, I kind of disagree with you on this. I, the Lakers' roster is just not good, man. Uh, they don't really have any good shooters around them. They Malik Monk was getting hot in the month of February, and all of a sudden he's just kind of fallen off. Um Carmelo Anthony's not. I mean, he's thirty-eight too. He's not him, his old self. Russell Westbrook's not doing good, and you never know with Anthony. Anthony. Um. Why? why Anthony Davis. Davis. Thank you. I. I don't know why I can't think of his name. But it seems as soon as he gets back on the court, he just gets back off. So, I. It, it's not a sturdy roster. It's not a good roster, and I. I, I see them winning one of those playing games to get into the playoffs. But I. 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 I really can't see them getting past Phoenix or Golden State in the first round if they do get it get in the playoffs with that play-in tournament.
1: There's there's seven games under five hundred for a reason. I mean, we all know the names that are on this roster, but they don't play together as a team. I think we could probably all agree that the addition of Russell Westbrook made no sense. He he doesn't fit into this team at all but you bring him in because it was what you thought you could get. Anthony Davis has proven the last couple years he can't stay healthy. LeBron, um, you know, he's he's still a great player, but is in decline with, with aging. I mean, every time, especially in Cleveland, that LeBron's gone on a run, it's been he's had a really solid number two next to him that he can get going. Are you telling
0: me Russell Westbrook is going to be that guy? Are you telling me Carmelo Anthony is going to be that guy? It's, I just don't see it. It's got to be AD. That's, that's your only hope. And, you know, I might be going down with a ship, but I have to because you know he's my favorite player. I'll be, I'll be honest with it. But uh, I think he's still got something left to prove, and uh, if anything, he can go for the scoring title, and <laughs> you know that'll be something to behold. But I think we've hit the last ten minutes of the show, and you know what that means. It's our soccer slash MLB side of the of the discussion. You know, with with MLB still not really being able to figure things out, we'll we'll give it to William and Ian to kind of give us a, an update on what's going on with with baseball. Yeah, it
1: looks like another week of either no progress or even maybe even moving backwards depending on on who you're talking to. The MLB spokesperson Glenn Kaplan was saying just yesterday that the players association chose to come back to us with a proposal that was worse than Monday night and was not designed to move the process forward. Both sides have made concessions. I think the owners um, agreed to bump the minimum salary by about two hundred thousand from basically five fifty to to I think seven twenty five and change or, or something along those lines. There, I think coming a little bit closer on the pre-arbitration pool, like maybe five million dollars per team, which is not very much when you look at the the grand scheme of things. But um, then you look at some of the on-field stuff because as I, as I keep bringing up every time you talk about a walkout and when is. Play going to resume and when are the players going to come back when the lockout went into effect December 1st the owner said we're not really going to give up anything we're ready to dig our heels in and we're going to make the players sweat it out and now we're getting to that point where multiple series in the regular season have definitively been postponed or you know by the ne- next week we could be talking about another couple weeks of April that have been lopped off the regular season schedule so the players now are are finally coming around on stuff that they initially were staunchly against. Um, there, there's a couple of minor things like like eliminating or, or implementing to the DH into the National League. I think both sides were were okay with that. But then you look at stuff like banning the shift, which is a really big deal in, in how the game is played. The owners feel like with the shift, the game is less interesting, um, and the the players obviously they're they're purists. They want the game to be the sport that we've known and loved for over a century and now the players have finally given in and said, you know what? We will We will go with banning the shift as the owners want it. So that's been agreed upon to me. That's a huge factor. The way it's been implemented in the minor leagues is there has to be four players with both feet in the infield dirt. So no more four or five men outfield. Um, you probably will see two men have to be on each side of second base. So I mean, I'm a race fan. I watch a lot of their games. They do more shifts than anybody else. If you know someone is going to hit a ground ball to the right side, why can't you put another? Why can't you put an extra guy over there? So to me, that's that's kind of the most alarming thing. Uh, there's also been stuff that you know, the players agreed to implement a pitch clock. Um, but I think Scherzer, Max Scherzer, said it best. Baseball is the only sport without a clock. Like that's what makes it. That's the beauty of the sport. Now they're bringing a clock into it. So. Um, the players are coming around, but I, I think the owners and, and Rob Manfred, they're, they're turning baseball into something that I think is going to end up being a shell of its former self if we even ever get back
0: to playing games. Ian, any thoughts?
3: I mean, the MLB's ratings have been in decline for a couple of years, so I guess I understand from, like, a business standpoint why the owners are doing this, but, I mean, the people that watch baseball don't watch it because it's, like, fast-paced and crazy. They want to watch it because it's methodical and – you know it doesn't have a clock and the uh, the owners are you know, like you know, like william said they're pushing it in a direction that's going to be a shell of its former self and it's not what baseball should be but i guess money talks and that's you know unfortunately how it is and,
1: and speaking of, of money talks that's another from a competitive standpoint you talk about the luxury tax and and you know the the small market teams obviously are are against uh, you know bringing the luxury tax up there was a source in the athletic that said The Angels, the Diamondbacks, the Reds, and the Tigers are the owners that are opposed to the MLB luxury tax increase. And the players don't like that, obviously, because if you increase the luxury tax, inevitably player salaries are going to increase. But that's also a competitive issue because if you increase the luxury tax from 220 million to maybe 280, near 300 million you're still going to have teams like the Tampa Bay Rays, the Orioles, the Pirates that are only going to spend 60 to 80 million dollars a year on players and the separation uh, of wealth from top to bottom is just going to keep growing even bigger. So I think that's another example if that ends up getting hammered out that the luxury tax gets increased. I mean what is the sport that we're going to be looking at when this strike is over? Uh,
2: I'm, I'm concerned. Hey, AJ? Yeah I just had a Quick question for William as a big baseball fan. How do you, how do you grow the game with it being declining um in the in, in numbers uh with the the ne- the average age I guess uh, rising? How does how does baseball get the youth more involved and more exciting I guess?
1: Yeah, I mean going into the 2020 season like pre-pandemic, that was the biggest discussion that was being had. How can we, you know, get a next generation as you said? Speeding the game up, I think, is a big thing. Um, they've they've made adjustments to have le- like less commercial breaks and, and lower in duration to try and speed the game up. I, I think the pitch clock is going to be another big thing in that. Um, since 2017, the average game has ballooned like up to an additional 20 minutes. So if you're having three-and-a-half-hour games every night, I love baseball as much as anybody, but that's a tough sell. Baseball should really be two-and-a-half-hour games every night. So I think time of game is big into that, but we've seen... Um the MLB market the, the home run we've seen them them alter the baseballs and things like that because you know everybody loves the long ball and a lot of offense I think they've even been talking about moving the mound back and all those things to increase more offense banning the shift will create more offense so if they're in line with the you know the NFL and the NBA that you know the the young kids love the offense so we're going to go you know deep dive into that that's definitely been a strategy that they've taken but I think since 2020 and now into 2022, where two of the last three seasons are partial seasons that are not 162 game seasons. That's the number one thing to me is how can you tell your fans that you're committed to giving them a product when you're not putting games on the field? So to me, right now, that's paramount. If you want, if you want to have fans, you got to have games. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Last thoughts?
3: I mean, one of the big changes that I think they should be discussing that they unfortunately are not. Um, and it's the biggest reason that I'm kind of I've shied away from being a baseball fan for so long is because there's no salary cap in baseball and the competitive you know like there's not enough parity in the league I don't think if they really wanted to change it for the better I think they would make it so that those small market teams could compete with the big boys you don't have to change the game you just have to make it more fair or a little more level playing field
1: yeah, and, and there's there's measures, like expanded playoffs, I think, is something that it, you absolutely can't do. I think it would derail the meaning of the regular season, but that's been something the owners have brought up as, well, if we have more playoff games, we can bring in more money, increase revenue sharing, get that money to these smaller teams. But I think at the end of the day, we've seen um, there, there's been the, the Braves are, are publicly owned, so their numbers are public. There's been other teams that have had, like, leaks, and we know no, none teams, not even the teams in small markets are suffering financially it's simply that they prioritize profit over putting a good team on the field mm-hmm. to me, reven- you can share revenue, but if the owners don't want to spend money on the players, they're just simply not going to do it, so uh, I think that parity will always exist, if you have a salary floor, teams have to spend a minimum amount of money, that could fix that, but the owners would never agree to that, and if they're not going to agree to it, as we've seen right now, it's just not going to get done.
0: Alright, well Hard pivot for the last two minutes of the show. we got to talk about soccer, William. So another league that doesn't have salary cap is the Champions League because all European teams are pretty big budget. So helping me to talk about that in the last two minutes is AJ. AJ, we have to talk about the Champions League because Real Madrid and PSG are playing on Wednesday. They're currently losing the, the Madrid, of course, are, are losing 1-0 to PSG, but they get to play at home for the last uh, you know leg of the, the, the matchup and, you know, Kylian Mbappe, the world's uh, wonder kid, is threatening to not play because of an injury because of practice. <laughs> you would think that the best player in the team, arguably, is not being protected enough in practice. But anyways, even Sergio Ramos, one of their, their center backs, is also doubtful to play. So how do you see this game playing out on, on Wednesday? Um,
2: I I see PSG still pulling it out. I I do believe Mbappe will will come come to his senses and decide to play. Uh, he does realize it's Champions League. I know he kind of kind of wants to leave PSG. There's been rumors about him leaving PSG. Um, but I, I I still think PSG pulls it out. They have too many good players on their team, in my opinion, to not be able to pull out, pull it out. I know Real Madrid is Real Madrid. Uh, but
0: I I do believe in PSG. He's gonna it out. I think he's not going to play. He might play as a sub, but I think Messi's going to display another masterclass in the Santiago Bernabeu, where he used to destroy the Madridistas uh, when he played for Barcelona, and that's me being a homer, of course. <laughs> but another interesting matchup is Liverpool against Inter. They're currently winning 2-0. They're going back to infield, so that should be a lock. Um, but even Manchester City, uh, they, they just came off from beating Manchester United 4-1, so... They they're well on their way to to being the 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 favorites to win the Premier League for the fourth time in five years, but at the same time they're still missing the Champions League trophy. So as as long as they have that six point you know uh, buffer zone between them and Liverpool, it seems like they can go for both trophies. But as soon as something goes off, I think there's going to be a different conversation going into the last couple of months of soccer. AJ, last thoughts? yeah,
2: I I think the the mo- the second most intriguing game actually tomorrow is going to be Bayern. In Salzburg, yeah. I mean, they're tied one-one on ag- aggregate. Uh, Bayern struggled this weekend in the Bundesliga, tying one-one. Uh, they're they're not at their top form right now, so it's going to be interesting to see if Bayern can pull it out against this young uh, Salzburg team, which I I, I believe they will. Um, but it's still going to
0: be an interesting game to watch, in my opinion. Yeah, that was definitely one of the the bigger results from the first week of, of Champions League uh, knockout stages. So it'll be interesting to see how they how they play it out, and um, you know, I'm sure. We'll be able to talk about that when we come back. I'm not sure if we're going to be having a show next week because of spring break, but for William Haynes, for Ian Hughes, for Aja LeCoursier, for Jack in the prod booth, actually. <laughs> forgot to mention him. He was on his first time uh, by himself, so shout out to him for making us sound as our best selves. You've been listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.